You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Waterloo. To find out more, visit www.oasiswaterloo.org. We went to see the coach about life and the real issues of who we are. And the coach asked him what he did. And he told him that he was a professor. And the coach asked, what did he teach? And so he began to talk. And he talked, and he talked, and he talked. And he put forward lots and lots of theories. You know the kind of person that talks at you, not with you. And this uh, professor talked at the coach. The coach didn't know what to do. And so eventually, there was a pot of tea that had been prepared for the conversation. The coach picked up the teapot and began to pour the tea. He poured, and he poured, and he poured, and the cup began to overflow. And the tea began to spill into the saucer, and then across the table, and onto the floor. And eventually, the professor paused and said, what are you doing? And the coach said, I'm listening to you. And your cup is so full of what you know that there is no room to think again. What you need to do is empty your cup. And the story is that he picked up the cup And he tipped out even the tea that was in the cup. You have to come with an empty cup. Anna did that great reflection on being refreshed. I can only be refreshed. You can only be refreshed. We can only be refreshed if we're willing to approach things in a different manner to the way we do. If we're open-minded enough to have a conversation instead of talking at others. And whilst they're speaking, just getting ready to make our next point. This congregation, this church, I hope you know, is always marked by that open conversation. Because of um, time, um, as you know, often we have an opportunity to ask questions and makes uh, comments uh, as part of the service. There's not that time this morning because of all the other things we've done and we're going to take some bread and wine and celebrate communion together. But this evening, always, you know, we pick up on the themes out of the morning and there's the chance to come and, and talk. When I was a kid, I grew up um, in South Norwood. Um, and um, South Norwood, Croydon, I used to go to a Baptist church called Homesdale Road Baptist Church. It's still there, but it's got a new building because the old building literally cracked in two and was uh, demolished in the end. And um, on the wall, the giant front wall of the church that I used to go to with my mum and dad, my brother and my two sisters every single Sunday, we used to sit there. And on the wall, it was a blue wall and there was a pulpit Uh, where the preacher used to preach, and on the blue wall behind him were emblazed these words, we preach Christ crucified. 
It's just what it said. Gold peeling letters on a blue peeling wall that I sat in front of every single Sunday. So I know just how many letters there are in this phrase, we preach Christ crucified. I knew how they were spread across the brickwork. I knew where, what, what was peeling, I still do. The P was falling off altogether. Um, so it said more, we reach Christ crucified, which some people said was prophetic, but I thought just meant we needed more paint. And uh, so, But I looked at this phrase every single Sunday of my childhood and my teenage years. And of course, it's come to sum up uh, Christianity for so many people. And of course, Paul did say, we, and just read to us, we preach Christ crucified. Paul says this to uh, some friends of his in the city of Corinth when he writes to them in this letter that we call 1 Corinthians. We preach Christ crucified. But the problem with it all is this. It's ever so easy to think we know what something means and not know what it means at all. And I'd like us over these next few weeks to take a little a little journey, because we're leading up to Easter. Lent, as Anne said, is uh, coming to an end, as Anna said, is coming to an end. And we're leading up to the celebration of Easter. We are Easter people, actually. That's what the church is. Whether it's Easter or later on in the year or harvest, whether it's October or August, we are Easter people. The Easter message is the message that we have. It is our hope. So it's important to understand what we mean when we say this. And it's important to understand what Paul meant. And as Anne read, Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 23 and 24. Paul said, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews. Then he said, foolishness to Greeks or Gentiles a stumbling block, some translations say a scandal for the Jews, foolishness for the Greeks, absolute stupidity for them. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so through these next few weeks leading up to Easter and in our Easter morning celebration, we're going to unpack this stuff, which is revolutionary. If this stuff doesn't push us into life, doesn't change our attitudes, doesn't allow us to think differently about the tricky meetings we've got coming up this week, the emails we've got to send, the difficult um, family relationships that you might have, the person that you don't speak to. If it doesn't mean that we think differently about the way that we work, if it doesn't mean we think differently about Brexit and trade deals, if it doesn't mean that we think different about ecology and climate change, if it doesn't mean that we think differently about the scandal of food banks, if it doesn't mean all of those things, then I put it to you, but you must think about this, We've not understood this statement. We've just not got it. So this week, it's my job or our job to think about we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews. Now here is a saying that's taken from the Talmud. I don't know if you know what the Talmud is. The Talmud and the Mishnah, the Mishnah and the Talmud are books of Jewish teaching. They were never books in Jesus' day. It was just, all this was just held orally. 
but they are the teachings of the scribes and the prophets and the rabbis put together. Rabbis didn't develop until Jesus' day, and Jesus was a rabbi, but it was a pretty informal deal. Uh, the century and the century after that, beyond Jesus' death, rabbis became much more of a kind of official thing that you'd apply for and get. But rabbi was just a t- term of endearment in Jesus' day. But the sayings of the scribes and the teachers and the rabbis were all held together. Because the Jews understood this. You couldn't really understand the Bible unless you debated and discussed it. It was no good just pumping it out there. You had to reflect on it. And so eventually, because they were so scared of the Romans, uh, effectively, they they knew that the Romans were going to slaughter them. They feared the Romans would slaughter them, as they did in the end, and bring their culture to an end. They wrote all this down. It had always been deemed too important to write down. Have you heard stuff like that said about the Bible before? You know, the Gospels were written a a long gap between Jesus' resurrection and when the Gospels were written, and people were sling at you, oh, yeah, it wasn't, you know, they just made it all up later. It wasn't that at all. It was that Jews, the Jewish people, the Hebraic Eastern people, never believed that you should write down what you could say. And we've never really understood that until we got email, and now we all understand it. You should never write down what you can say, because an email's always misunderstood, isn't it? Emails cause so much trouble. Isn't it better to pick up the phone and talk to someone, or sit down and have a cup of tea with them? Aren't the best things in life passed on life to life, eyeball to eyeball, across a table, rather than bang it all down and whack it in there? We're we're beginning to learn again some of the ancient things that were understood. But in the end, the Jews wrote the Mishnah, uh, which was just all the teachings of the rabbis put together. Jesus would have known them all um, in his day. And then eventually they put it into a much bigger thing, which was called the Talmud. And you can get both of them on Google today. Um, But there's a great saying in the Talmud, in the Mishnah too, actually. And it says, most of us don't see things the way they are. We see things the way we are. We come to everything with our preconceived ideas. And because of our preconceived ideas, we can't see more deeply. That's why we have to empty our cup in order to be refreshed. Because if we come to any conversation with endless preconceived ideas, we'll never be in a place where we can be refreshed because we're always full of everything we already believe that can't be moved because it's all so dogmatic. Most of us don't see things the way they are. We see things the way we are. When I was a kid, I was taught about the ABC of the gospel. Last night, I looked online, um, and here is the ABC of the gospel. ABC of the gospel, just got this offline last night. All have sinned. That's the A. B, be sure your sin will find you out. And C, Christ died for our sins. If you type in ABC of the gospel, this comes at the top, and there's endless hundreds of these things there. All have sinned. Be sure your sin will find you out. Christ died for our sins. Then I looked down. I went through loads of them. And there was another one completely different. It was still ABC, but it said, Except God loves you, believe that even though you have sinned and fallen short, Jesus died in your place. Confess your sins and receive forgiveness. Now, I'd like you to just together think about that one. That's an ABC. And there's another ABC. And I'm sure you've heard all this stuff before. What strikes you as 
If we go back to this, most of us don't see things the way they are. We see things the way we are. What strikes you as odd about that and that? Talk to someone next to you. You might not spot it to start with, but it's obvious. What's missing? Is anything missing? Shall I tell you what it is? When I tell you what it is, when I tell you what it is, it will be so obvious and you'll wonder why you never got it, but you haven't got it because we always see things the way we are rather than things the way they are. What's wrong with that as the gospel? It doesn't mention Easter. There is no resurrection This is an ABC of the gospel, the good news, and it leaves Jesus dead. This is another ABC of the gospel, and it equally leaves Jesus dead. The big deal is, as you know, many of you were told, Jesus, you're a sinner, we deserve God's anger, Jesus died on the cross, he took the blame instead of us, God got him instead of us, Therefore, you're not guilty anymore if you pray this prayer. There is no resurrection. I also looked at the images on Google, the top ones. Here it is. You've seen this some of you before. There's mankind, humankind. You know, let's get the women into this as well, right? We're all on the other side of this great gulf to God. There's humankind and there's God. And there, you see these verses. We've all sinned, Romans, Isaiah. Sin's penalty, Romans, Hebrews. Christ paid the penalty by dying in our place on the cross. Salvation not by works, Ephesians chapter 2, Titus chapter 3. Must receive Christ, John and Revelation. Assurance of salvation and we get life. No resurrection. No resurrection. Do you know, you can check this out by, probably on Google, but it's best to go to Rome. If you go to... (laughs) I I only mean you might not find it on Google. If you go to the catacombs in Rome, you'll discover that the cross was never a symbol of Christianity, not for the first 400 years or so. The symbol of Christianity was uh, the three young men in the lion's den and their escape. And it was the, the picture of Moses parting the Red Sea and the great escape. And uh, the other one is um, uh, uh, Daniel. Uh, uh, Daniel and uh, the, the young men in the fiery furnace and Daniel in the lion's den. Because the early church, not just in Rome, but in uh, Alexandria, which was the big base of Christianity. That, by the way, is where I was last week when I was on that uh, camel. I was only on it for a minute. (laughs) If you take a picture the other way, by the way, you know it looks like I'm riding across a desert. If you turned around and took a picture facing the other way, there's a socking great motorway with a hotel there. You know, it's kind (laughs) of... If 
you've got a tourist attraction like the pyramids, you build big roads to it. it so it looks like I've been on this thing. I was there talking to the Egyptian government about education. 50% of kids in Egypt receive no education to speak of, and we're in a conversation with them about whether we start training teachers and start schools there. So, here's another one. This was the next one down. This is the same thing. Man, God. Women, God. People, God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God in the middle. right? And here's the gospel. Rejected by God. We are rejected by God because we've sinned. Nice Bible verse for that. Because we're going to die. Nice Bible verse for that. Because we're going to receive judgment. A nice Bible for that. And then there's a big arrow down. We're going to go to hell. you know. Unless we believe that Jesus died on the cross for us. And then it all gets different. But most of us don't see things the way they are. We see things the way we are. Now, Paul himself says that... Jesus' crucifixion, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews. He was a Jew, of course. It's a stumbling block. It's not some great thing to shout about. It's a stumbling block to all Jews that Jesus was crucified on a cross. But it's not just Paul that thinks it's a stumbling block. John thinks so too. Here's a uh, verses from John. In fact, it's the disciples talking to Jesus. And they say, the scriptures teach that the Messiah will live forever. How can you say that the Son of Man, that was Jesus' favorite nickname for himself, how can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up and crucified? It's impossible. This is a total scandal. And this is Paul in writing to the Galatians, and he's quoting the Old Testament to them, and he says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a pole. We all know that. This is why it's a scandal to the Jews. You preach Christ crucified, that's miserable. So a gospel that's all about Jesus crucified is no gospel at all. And it's no gospel at all because it leaves out the resurrection. The reason Paul and all Jews in all places thought that a crucified Messiah, a crucified Jesus was no good, was because a dead Messiah is no Messiah at all. The Messiah's job was to free Israel from their oppressors, literal oppressors, not spiritual ones. Well, they were spiritual oppressors, but oppressors, but they were physical and political and social oppressors. Uh, oppressors. They put people down. And the Messiah's job was always, through the whole of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, and in the thinking of every Jew, the job of the Messiah was to free people physically and socially and politically and spiritually and emotionally here and now. So a dead Messiah was useless. Which is why, Paul says, we preach Christ crucified and it's a stumbling block to Jews. Paul says it again. He says it in his famous book, well, same later at the end of Corinthians. He says this. He says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. There it is. 
And yet we've come up with a gospel that's all about we're miserable sinners. Jesus died in our place on the cross. And if we pray a prayer, we won't die and go to hell because somehow what he did would count for us. But it stops before the resurrection. It's in direct contrast with the thinking of Paul who says this. A gospel without a resurrection is no gospel. A faith without the resurrection, not centered on the resurrection, actually is no gospel. Now, just a little uh, thing, because I know people get dead confused about this. Messiah and Christ, you know they're the same name. So the Hebrew word there, Messiah, uh, means anointed one or liberated uh, uh, or liberator. And the Greek equivalent, so if you translate the word, the Hebrew word Messiah into Greek, it's Christos there, so it's Christ. So Christ and Messiah mean exactly the same thing. So when Paul says Jesus Christ, he means Christ, uh, Jesus is the uh, Messiah. Jesus Christ means Jesus the liberator, Jesus the Messiah. And sometimes Paul says Christ Jesus, you know, and we think, oh, Christ Jesus got his first name and his surname the wrong way around. All it means is the Messiah Jesus. Jesus is the liberator. The liberator is Jesus. That's what it means. And the liberator is Jesus for one simple reason. This is how Paul thinks. We have to see things the way he was instead of the way we are if we're going to use his words in our culture. As you all know, Saul, Paul, hated Christians the followers of Jesus. He hated them so much that he went to the temple and he got a special letter to nip down to Damascus and persecute, slaughter, wipe out all the followers of Jesus there. Having got the letter, he set off on the way. You can read the story in the Acts of the Apostles. And on his way, he's a young man. He's about six years younger than Jesus, we know. He's in his 20s, we know. And he's on this road going to Damascus and he's going to slaughter followers of the way, followers of Jesus. Why is he going to slaughter them? He's going to slaughter them because they follow a Messiah who's a dead one, and a dead one's no good. Paul, like all Jews, is waiting for a Messiah. He wants his people to be set free from the physical, spiritual, emotional, material, economic oppression they live in right now. It's all bundled up together. You can't separate the spiritual from the material or the emotional or the economic, like the guy that we've been listening to week by week on that terrible food bank video. It's terrible, isn't it, to just listen to his pain. How can you say to him, how are you doing spiritually? He says, well, I've got nothing to eat, no fresh food. I need some food. I need some friendship. I need some care. I need some real hope. So the point is this, that Paul is on the way to slaughter these followers of the way, not because, the way being Jesus, the way, the way uh, not because they follow a Messiah, but they follow the wrong type, dead, no good, because he's dead. And then on this road to Damascus, something extraordinary happens, and we can't quite tell what it is, even though the story is told three times in the Acts of the Apostles. But Saul is blinded. He sees lights everywhere, and he's blinded. He can't see, and he's disorientated, and he hears a voice. Now, there's no, um, there's, it's never said that anyone else hears the voice. In the three explanations through Acts, it never tells you that anyone else hears the voice. Wouldn't it be wonderful if God shouted down on megaphones to us, you know, wouldn't it? Yeah. Anna, change job, you know, you know wouldn't it be wonderful? And we imagine that somehow back then, 2,000 years ago, God had a megaphone and he used to holler at people, but now we have to just work it out. 
there's no, there's no record that anybody ever um, heard a voice except Saul, except Paul. So he's on this road and he's pent up because he's going to kill these people. He's going to wipe them out. He's emotionally hyped. And in this state, who knows what's going on in this young man's life? But he's a fundamentalist. He, he is there to persecute. He is there to make sure the wrong, the, the, the wrong, you know, the right people die. If you want to, if you see what I mean. He's there to wipe them out. He's a fundamentalist. He's a radical. And something happens to him, and he's totally disorientated. And he sees lights, and he goes blind temporarily, and he hears voices. We don't know really what was going on, what was going on psychologically, but we do know this, that this young man, who was on his way to wipe out the church, from that moment on is utterly changed and turned around. And he spends the rest of his life doing the exact opposite of what he was out to do on the road to Damascus that day. He spends the rest of his life on boats, on donkeys, walking mountain paths, in prisons, being beaten up, going without food, writing feverishly, being shipwrecked, all to tell people about what he discovered in that moment of psychological reorientation, spiritual reorientation. An extraordinary event that changed the world, that changed his life and changed the world. And what changed for him, we know, is this. We know it because he writes about it. So this isn't me telling you what I think. We know it because Paul writes about it, and we know who he was. Paul, um, like all Jews of his age, they hung on closely to particular texts, especially in the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah um, had written about what it would be like when the exile of the Jews, they'd been in exile to the Babylonians, when their exile was over and they were finally set free, the, the prophet Isaiah wrote about what it would be like. That was his prophecy, actually. I mean, the, the second half of his prophecy, uh, uh, yeah, so the, it, the first bit is about what it's going to be like if you don't get your act together. The second bit is about what it's like when you're in exile. And the third bit of Isaiah is about looking forward to the future. And Isaiah, uh, therefore, became like the pinup of all what are called Second Temple Jews, people that were longing for a Messiah, on this mountain, the Lord, well, I'm not going to read it all. There was one key sentence in this, and we know because of what Paul says, this is what changed him. Remember, a crucified Messiah is no Messiah. We preach Christ crucified, useless. But here's the sentence. He will swallow up death forever. And I put it to you that that's what happened to this young man Saul on this road. He was out to kill these Christians because they were following a dead Messiah. And he discovers through this encounter that Jesus is alive. And that is what reorientates him entirely. He will swallow up death forever. He goes away, he thinks about it, you read the story, he can't make it all out on that day, but he spends weeks and then years and he's thinking it over and he's chewing it through and he disappears from the stage of history for some time, perhaps up to a decade actually, we're not quite sure, but when he comes back and he comes out, 
We know what he believes. He believes that Jesus has conquered death. So he is the Messiah. And if he's delivered on this promise, he can deliver on all those. Let me read. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a rich, a feast of rich food for all people. A banquet of aged wine, the best meats and the finest wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people. The sheet that covers all nations. Then we go on. He's swallowing up death. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his from remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Saul was turned round not by the crucifixion of Jesus. He was turned round by the resurrection of Jesus. And he sets out on a brand new way. Because the resurrection is hope. And that's what we put into practice all of the time. That's what we aim to do here. Because neither do we believe in a spiritual hope that's dislocated from an emotional hope or a physical hope or an educational hope or an environmental hope. Because we don't want to think in that truncated, siloed way. We know all of this fits together all of the time. So last night, there were loads of you involved in the Latino uh, fiesta, which is fantastic. That's bringing hope, isn't it? That's bringing hope. And do you know, this week was the first ever meeting of the uh, Waterloo Hub uh, Council. We've got a hub council, which is a group. Some of you are involved. Helena's involved. Claire's involved. The others of you involved around it. Met together for the first time ever with an agenda to say, how do we serve the whole community? And we weren't thinking about material as opposed to spiritual or spiritual as opposed to material. We're thinking about the whole thing in the light of the resurrection. And this week, the choir afflicted a great evening with the choir. And while she was doing that here through there... Stuart and the team, there were 60 teenagers around the coffee shop. This was Thursday night, was it? It was all at the same time. Was it Thursday or Wednesday that all this happened? These things were all happening simultaneously. And the next morning I met with the leader, well, I met with the leader of the local council and we talked about why we need the police station. We need the police station because we're overflowing. We can't get anyone else in. We can't do any more. Why? Because we're keeping kids off the streets and we're bringing help and hope that's real is it spiritual is it material is it about youth violence or is it about hope for the future and a different story and a different narrative it's all of those things all of the time that's what Paul comes to understand which is why he gives his life to this why do I say all this just as we come to communion because what we believe really matters we're shaped by our beliefs if we think that the message of the gospel is really that an angry God who was going to send us all to hell is somehow pacified from his anger if we would pray a prayer and the cross gets us across and therefore God forgives us, then we have a message that's just about the eternal destiny of those who choose to pray a prayer. But we also have a, other bits of that message. A God that's angry, therefore as God's agents, our job is to be angry with people who don't believe this. As God's agents, our job is to reflect who God is and 
he doesn't like sinners. So we shouldn't like sinners. Very fortunately, we never fit into that category ourselves, do we? We always fit into the category of the good guys whilst other people get roped into that. But here's what we've been singing about this morning. You all sang, God is good all the time. God is good all the time. We sang Amazing Grace. We talked about the grace that will lead us all home. We talked about the Lord being our shepherd. We sang in every song about God's goodness to everyone. This prophecy is about God's goodness to everyone. And the resurrection means that we bring this goodness to everyone. If the cross is just about the eternal destiny of the followers of Jesus, then it has no impact for government, foreign policy, Brexit, trade deals, the youth violence issue. It's got nothing to say to our hopes and ambitions. It's just a deal done. But if the gospel is this, as Paul discovers, that God's power is in God's weakness and in God's love, that Christ's power is his weakness and his servanthood, not his strength, that he surrenders himself to death, and everyone thinks it's over, but he rises from the dead to say, life is stronger than death, hope is stronger than depression and hostility. This becomes a way to live it becomes a way to conduct our national affairs and international affairs. It becomes a way to engage with Egypt. This week we heard from, um, we heard from the Ministry of Justice that they'd like us to progress. We've, some of you know we've been talking about becoming responsible for a youth prison, a youth detention centre, and they've said to us they'd like us to progress that, which is fantastic. Is that some secular gig whilst we do spiritual on Sunday? No, it's all resurrection. It's all hope. It's all what you do. I'm looking at Caroline there just because I happen to be looking at Caroline. Caroline, if you don't know her, she runs this fantastic, really amazing, um, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know, it's a theatre company that looks at gender-based issues and it looks at equality and it brings hope. Is that Caroline's secular job while she does a bit of you know, spiritual on Sunday? No, it's all because we're Easter people and we live in the light of Easter all of the time. So, in the light of what Paul discovers, we preach Christ crucified because he rose from the dead and we know that resurrection comes through servanthood and passion and mercy and compassion it's time to empty our cup and to reflect and allow it to be filled again. We're going to explore further this theme over the next few weeks. But I'm going to invite Felicity to come just play whilst you look at this picture. And my question to you is simply this. How do you empty all that stuff out of your cup? to allow it to be filled again with the spontaneity and the freshness that this new approach that soaks up death, that soaks up hate, that soaks up all the cruel things that people might say to you and others, and instead of returning anger for anger, 
you return, we return love, service, commitment. How does our cup become filled with the way of Christ? Let's pray. Let's reflect. Lord, empty our fullness and create space in us for the new things you want to say. We want to be resurrection people, to live in the light of the real, genuine hope that that brings to us and all people. Help us as we seek to lay aside our prejudices, our cocksureness. Help us, challenge us as we learn new ways of serving. We know that what we believe is always evident in how we behave. We believe that the cross became significant for Paul because he knit he found the true way to service and life and hope and liberation Jesus the Messiah the Messiah Jesus Jesus Christ we confess is our Lord we choose to live his way so what I'm going to simply ask is that you come and take some bread and take some wine 
As Jesus said to his first disciples, his first followers, and you know the story well, he said, come, all of you, all of you, with your doubts, with your screwed up lives, with your mistakes, with your half-beliefs, beliefs, come, every single one of you, eat this bread, taste this wine, fill your life with this new narrative, this new story, which is about me because I'm going to sacrifice and lay down my life for you. I ask you to share this meal with me, Jesus said. Take some bread, take some wine, fill your cup with this story. Become one of those who walks the way of the cross because the way of the cross leads, leads to resurrection. It is the way of hope. Personally, in terms of community, in terms of our nation, in terms of our planet. I invite you to come as you choose. Take some bread, take some wine, take a big bit of bread, take two glasses of wine if you choose. This is a way of saying we're in. We want our cup to be filled with your story, the story of resurrection. Come as you choose. You've been listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Waterloo. To find out more, visit www.oasiswaterloo.org.